Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. We're doing something a little bit different today. Instead of having a panel in to discuss the merits of Justin Bieber's latest exploits or what color Beyonce's hair is this week, uh, we have an author. Tom Rockman is here. His new book, The Italian Teacher, is in stores right now. Uh, he is the author of four works of fiction. His best-selling debut, The Imperfectionists, uh, was translated into 25 languages. That must be cool. It was very nice. Yeah, when you see, like, on the bookshelf, and you see the title in different languages and your name underneath it yeah, on the spine, that, that's cool. That's right? excellent. But I, particularly the, you know, things like Japanese or, or yeah. when, it's, when, it's, um, when it's a script I can't even read at all. That's mm -hmm. exciting. And, uh, and then the uh, critically acclaimed follow-up, The Rise and Fall of Great Powers. Uh, there is a satirical audio uh, book in stories called Basket of Deplorables. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And um, uh, loads and loads and loads of journalism. Yeah. And so we'll get to, we'll, we'll touch on all this stuff. Um, I wanted to, to throw a quote at you from a New York Times article that you wrote uh, called Tired Metaphors Chow Contestant. And uh, it says, or you said, a novelist craves solitude. Well, you're on a press tour right now, probably talking to lots of people like me. How's it going for you? It's going well. I, I, it's a peculiar profession in some ways because you spend years and years in isolation working on uh, a book and trying to come up with ideas that will eventually come out and stimulate people. And you do that totally on your own in total isolation. So you have this notional idea of an audience out there. And then all of a sudden the book comes out and you travel around and you actually meet some of those people. And you often find that the responses are not entirely what you'd expected. For better or worse, it's fascinating to see how the the, the characters and the storylines affect people. And that's the stage I'm in right now, which is, is I actually enjoy it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Do you learn anything about the book? Because I would imagine that you have this kind of idea of what it is set you know, in stone pretty much. And then just start talking to people and, and it probably shifts and changes a little bit. Definitely does. You start to realize some of the, the themes that were buried in there because people will conceptualize them and articulate them mm -hmm. to you. And I think that when you're writing a book, because it's so complicated with all these separate threads and ideas and stories that you have this this sprawling, complex thing in 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 your in your brain that then ends up on paper and and you go out and you have to condense that into a few sentences to describe it. And I've always found that it's only toward the end of the book tour that I figure out how to properly right. explain it. But the way that I've learned that is frequently from people along the way explaining the book to me. Now, do you finish a book and then sort of put it away? I mean, the press tour, you'll end up talking about it for a little while. But, you know, a year from now when you're working on something else, will thoughts of, of the Italian teacher still be coming back? Will you still think about it? Or is it a project that's in the past and the only exciting one is the next one now? Yeah, probably more of the latter. I think that I that when it's done, then it feels like it feels appropriate to put it aside right. because the it's not just uh, the, you know, the few weeks of of press tour, it's years and years of your life before that that you've been laboring over this. So the idea might have been seeded, let's say, five years earlier, four years earlier. You then work away at it for all that time, and finally it comes out. And at that point, you're a different person than the person who conceived of the story and, and the themes in the first place. And so you're you're desperately eager to move on to the next thing. Uh, so. It's funny, each, each book that I've published feels like a little bit of my past, quite aside from the story and the contents and my experience of the publication. 
it feels like a little chunk of, of my life that uh, I, I can recall being a different person at the inception of. Interesting in 25 years to look back at this as a body of work when there's what, 15 novels or 20 novels by then and look back at the sort of the width and breadth of your life on a bookshelf. Absolutely. And uh, the, you know, ultimately that's, that's how one will see it all is the, this, this body of work. But when you're in the middle of it, you're completely focused on the project that you're, you're, you're doing. And it's, it's so hard to see beyond that. I remember a publisher telling me one time about how, you know, this particular book is just part of the, all of the, it's just one among the many books that you'll do. But you can't quite experience it that way because you feel so much fixed in the in the present project that that um, it's hard to ever really conceive of the whole uh, the whole body of work. And maybe that too, like the, any particular book, is going to be explained to you by other people as they as they see it all fitting together. We'll get to some of the the background here that would have led to the writing of this book. Um, But let's talk about some of the themes in the book. Uh, For me, it's about legacy. For me, it is about the importance of legacy and whether or not legacy is all that important. And I think the main character, Pinch, feels that he's having a rough time because he's overshadowed. His father was a famous artist. Uh, He wanted to be an artist. Not really, didn't really work out for him. So they thought, I'll write the book. You know, I'll write a book about my dad. And it's all about the importance of it. Where did that come from? Where did the idea of that come from for you? Let's start there. I think that the motivation for many people working in the arts is the legacy. Mm -hmm. And as I said, you know, when you're working on a particular project, you're absolutely stuck in that one. But the overarching goal, the thing that may have set that artist off to start their their career in the first place is the idea of doing something that would endure. Mm This is, it's obviously not the same motivation for every single person who works in the arts, but I think that for many of them, that's the, the their deepest aspiration is that they'll produce something that has lasting value beyond their, beyond their, their small circle of people that they know, right. perhaps it will affect people in other parts of the world and other parts of the country, and maybe even in other periods of time if they're really, really successful. So I think that it is something that people in the arts are, are very aware of, and um, the one of the elements of this book is it's it's talking about the the tension between the 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 blissful experience of creating artistic things and the rather corrupt system of culture the right. industries of culture that that sell and determine who is deter- who is decided to be who is who's deemed to be ordained, the, the great yeah. yeah and so so there's a there's a um, a great euphoria even in the making of the work, but then there's a dysphoria in the in the the battle for success, and I think that's the uh, a struggle that the main character in this book is is contending with. He's trying to figure out where in this world of the arts he should he should fit and where he can find a life for himself. The book is called The Italian Teacher. It's in bookstores right now. I'm speaking with Tom Rockman, the uh, author of the book. Is that a push and pull that you feel? I think that it's something that I'm, I'm aware of. I don't necessarily feel it uh, all the time, but it's something that I, th- I think I have felt in the past. I, I one of the motives for writing this book is that I had always been really fascinated by the lives of artistic people and they seem to live such crazy existences and was attracted as well to the 
unconventional nature of their lives that they could they could just uh, fling off all of the rules that everybody else had to abide by and and disregard majority tastes and ultimately if they were successful then they would be deemed to have been right all along so um, I think that 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 it all seemed like an exciting sort of world. And um, so in writing this book, having then spent several years working in the arts, I hoped to combine my outsider's curiosity that I still retain about how it works, what is creativity, um, what are these lives really like, what do artists do all day. I wanted to take some of the knowledge that I had from the inside, but combine it with that fascination that I that I used to have. Um, so I think that that's uh, many of the impulses and questions that the characters go through are ones that I've I've experienced or thought about, or even just encountered among other people working in this business. It's interesting to to hear you ask the questions. What's it like? What would it be like to be this? You were a journalist for a long time. We'll talk more about the Italian teacher uh, a little bit later on. But you were a journalist for a long time, and one of the things that I read about you that after ten years of working in journalism, you were still trying to answer the questions. No, you had a you you were navigating how to answer the questions instead of simply asking them. Hmm. And is that still the truth for you? Have you have you shed that yet? Um, well, I think that I you have to do both. I guess. Yeah, you right. have to do both, really. Um, but I think that that one thing that that is shared between my journalistic career and my fiction career is I'm really fascinated with other human beings and trying to understand them and. Um, I think that the that in journalism you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what are the questions that are going to unlock the key to to people and the key to the the work that they've done or whatever the 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 justification is for your encounter with them and um, the art of asking questions, as you know all too well, is is a is a really complex, intriguing, lifelong struggle to figure out what it is that works, and it's not at all obvious. It's not necessarily the direct question. Sometimes, um, in my experience, it would be when the interview ended that suddenly the person starts to say really interesting things. It's so always that way. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. you sort of wish you you were still recording at that <laughs> yeah, yeah. point, or it was still on the record. And um, so I think that that's what what has shared it what is shared for me what's shared in all of my work is a is a fascination with the psychology of people and the um the the motives that they have the drives that they have and what attracts me to fiction is that you can really access that imaginatively and um and also as a reader you can access the experiences of, of other people that in journalism, you tend to get more of a surface mm -hmm. um, expression of it. So you can intuit what might be underneath. But in journalism, of course, or sorry, in fiction, you can dive right in. Well, you can dive right in because, uh, let's look, you have uh, 325 pages to do it in in the book, whereas in journalism, you have 3,000 words exactly. or whatever. Yeah, yeah if yeah. you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. So yeah. it's, a, it's a much different uh, situation. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Tom Rockman about the Italian teacher. It's in bookstores everywhere now. Uh, how long, uh, just sort of, off the, this is the, the, the hackiest question ever, but how long to, to write this book? How long did it take? It took about, about three years probably. Um, it was a great deal of research that I had mm -hmm. to do because I wanted the book to be really authentic about the uh, the art world. 
so there was there was a lot of f- fun, fascinating research that I got to do in the process of preparation for it. But all told, I would say about three years. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We'll find out exactly what you do for three years while you're writing a book. And if you do anything else while you're working on that, all those kind of things. And we'll do that with Tom Rockman, the author of The Italian Teacher. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. You know the name Tom Rockman if you have read things in the New York Times and the New Yorker. Your, your work as a journalist and as an essayist is everywhere. And if you go to your website, which I believe is just your name and .com, right? Yep. Uh, go there and there's a really interesting list of articles that you've written recently that I got kind of lost in the K-hole and I just fell in and I just continued reading. Uh, uh, interesting, cool, insightful stuff to read. Uh, also check out the new book. It's called The Italian Teacher in stores right now. You were born in London, raised in Vancouver. You're living in London now again, um, but you studied uh, cinema here at the University of Toronto in Toronto. Um, does cinema... Uh, influence your writing or does the study of cinema, has that changed anything for you in the way that you sit down to put pen to paper? I think it has informed a lot. It's not a conscious choice that it should be so, but I grew up wanting to be a filmmaker and I spent years and years just um, watching film after film after Mm -hmm. film. And I remember, for example, when I was a teenager, my parents went away for a week and for some reason left me alone in the house. And (laughs) and, uh, this was, you know, heaven for me. And they left me something like 50 bucks or whatever it was. That's money you could do something with. Yeah, exactly. And um, what I did with it was I I calculated how many movies I could rent. And I I think I had, let's say I had $7 per day. I would get two video rentals back in the days of cassettes (laughs) and $1 for cereal. And that was my week. So that was... That was sort of how I, um, how I, how I was growing up. I was obsessed with film, and and what kind of films? Well, you know, just about everything. I think that that initially I was, I was, we had a, a family practice of watching an old movie every single, pretty much every weekend, at least one. Uh, my parents would rent a black and white movie, and we would watch it. So I was kind of steeped in that when I was younger, and 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 my my pop cultural heroes in the 1980s were sort of Humphrey Bogart right. and uh, Marilyn Monroe. And so I, I, was, I was a bit in the wrong era. And um, then later on, once I started to have ambitions to maybe work in film, then I just wanted to see everything. Mm-hmm. So foreign films, classics, um, films from the 70s, and uh, everything that I could, I could really, I could rent that was supposed to be decent. And um, so I spent an awful lot of time steeped in that, and I feel like that must have influenced my sense of storytelling. And uh, I've never, I've never intentionally tried to do things in a cinematic way. But sometimes people have said that some of my works have cinematic elements in them that they, when they read it, they can imagine it being on screen or something like that. So, and I'm very happy with that. Well, I wonder if the idea of of watching older films. Uh, which tended to be fairly structured in their storytelling, gave you sort of a, I don't know, like by osmosis, you learned, you know, how to structure a 300-page novel by watching these stories that were so carefully plotted and put together. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that a, a novel is a, is a very different sort of structure mm-hmm. than, than a film, but I think that, that in all storytelling, there are clever little tricks and ideas and ingenuity that you can, that you absorb. And I think that um, as much as you can, you can gain a lot from studying uh, storytelling, filmmaking, literature, uh, creative writing, of mm-hmm. course. I think at the same time, you learn at least as much from absorbing as much of the, the great stuff out there as you can. You just suddenly start to get a sense of how stories come together right. without quite knowing 
what you're doing. And did you ever make a film? Are there short films out there with your names on them somewhere? Thank God, no. I, I did try. I, you know, I was at at uh, when I was at University of Toronto. The um, the cinema studies program was really history and theory. Yeah, it's theory. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not it's not filmmaking, which yeah. I would have liked to do filmmaking, but it wasn't uh, wasn't an option at the time. So my plan was to go on to grad school and do the filmmaking. So I did, however, uh, do some do some, you know, preliminary little mini films, or I should say I tried to. But <laughs> one of the things that I discovered was that it is, of course, a collaborative medium and that this um, was rather difficult when actors just didn't turn up and, <laughs> and, you know, the cameraman didn't show and so forth. And, and it was at around that time that I was becoming more and more engaged with and passionate about about great literature. And I sort of thought, you know, if I want to tell stories, uh, maybe I'd like to do it in this way, where I can sit in a room on my own, close the door, and disappear into into my imagination and ideas and try to, to wrench something from all that rather than sitting at a at a you know at a at a park in, you know, minus fifteen yeah. <laughs> weather waiting for, for the sound guy to turn up. I'm speaking with Tom Rockman. His book is called The Italian Teacher. It's in uh, stores right now. Maybe that goes back. Maybe you were always a novelist in a wannabe filmmaker's skin because of that first quote, a novelist craves solitude. Maybe even then you were wanting to work on your own. Yeah, maybe. You just didn't know it. Maybe I was. Maybe I was. (laughs) Uh, so journalism, let's talk about the, 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 the journey from filmmaker then to journalist, because that came before novelist, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What happened was that when I was in my last year at U of T, I, as I, you know, I, I, as I said, I had this, this shift in ambitions where I wanted to, to write. And I, I was, it was in those first attempts where I was, where I was, as I said, closed in a room just, mm-hmm. and I realized that the, how fulfilling and thrilling it was to do that. And I completely fell in love with writing at that point. Um, However, I also was a 22-year-old and I thought, I don't really feel like I can justify a novel because the novels that I appreciated were often complex, international, deeply experienced from all around the world. They were they were things that I felt I, I had no right to even attempt. And I at best, I would be doing a pathetic imitation of sort of 19th century Russian writing, which would have been idiotic. Yeah, so, written by people who had had their hearts broken a few times. Yeah, exactly. Kind of so, yeah, so I thought I needed to... Uh, to experience something before I wrote about it. And there's a, there's a line of the, – there's a, a New York-based uh, um, essayist, Fran Leibowitz, who, mm-hmm. who's – she's great. And she, she has a line that I, I think about in this regard. She says that, that in the field of mathematics, things like chess, you have child prodigies. In literature, there's no such thing as a child prodigy <laughs> because the material of literature is experience. Right. And I didn't have it. I couldn't. I couldn't justify a, a book at that age. So I thought, well, how do I get the kind of experience I'd, I'd like? And and also, I had to support myself. So I thought, well, I'll do. I'll try to get into a business where you write, where you explore the world, and where I can, you know, pay my bills as well. And that was journalism. So I kind of tried to do a crash course into journalism, and I ended up getting into the business and and uh, worked in a number of different places, and then. When I was getting near the age of 30, 
I thought to myself, either I'm going to be a journalist or I'm going to be a writer, and I'm not looking very much like a writer. So I quit my job, and that was the beginning of the fiction. And we'll pick up the story on the other side of this break. Fran Leibowitz also said about children that they don't look good in evening clothes, and she's absolutely <laughs> bang on about that too. When we come back, we continue the conversation with Tom Rockman talking about the Italian teacher. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, Tom Rockman is here. He's the author of The Italian Teacher. It's in stores right now. We've been talking a little bit about the book. We've been talking uh, a little bit about the the life that you led to get you up to the point where you're writing novels. So journalism, when we left the story, you were talking about using journalism in a way to get enough life experience to really allow you to feel seasoned enough to write a novel. And that's kind of, I think, what people like George Orwell, George Orwell, uh, Evelyn Waugh, you know, people like that, that, that dabbled in both, uh, dabbled is not the word, but who did both journalism and fiction. I think that's kind of, that was their process as well. Yeah, it definitely was. And I think that it was their, that kind of model, those, those sorts of writers, those particular writers, in fact, who uh, inspired me to try to do it that way. The way that, uh, that writing works as a profession nowadays is quite different than it, than it did in the pre-war period. Mm -hmm. After the war, particularly for all these soldiers coming back, they started all of these professionalized programs at universities, including creative writing programs. So you had this split where you had, on the one hand, people writing fiction, and the other hand, people who were doing the job of being journalists. And um, there is a separation that continues to this day, uh, that there are still people who do a bit of both. But on the whole, uh, the, the journalist is looked at as a different sort of creature than mm. the, the novelist. But my, my models and heroes in that regard were, were people who conceived of themselves as writers generally, who, who, who tried to express things that were, um, that were true and that were false and um, tried to work in both of those media. And so that was really what I always tried to do. I never took a, a creative writing course. Mm -hmm. I just took a sort of professional writing career. And uh, the names come to mind uh, in the modern day, like Martin Amos jumps back and forth between doing journalism and, and writing novels. There's a, a great collection called The Rub of Time, which is out right now, uh, that is a collection of his essays and, and journalist uh, pieces that are kind of interesting. I mean, Martin Amos, one of the, the great British writers, uh, you know, writing about visiting a porn set was not something that I thought that uh, I would ever read in my lifetime. And yet it's a great piece of journalism in this new book. I think it's, it's much more valuable than some novelists realize actually mm -hmm. to do this because there's a, a, a real danger. And I think it's a, a danger that, that you see the consequences of in a lot of contemporary fiction. And that danger is that if you um, if you just pursue the 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 literary life, then you're kind of locked in the experiences that you had up to the age of let's say 30, 35, when right. you when you finally got your sold your first book. Um, and after that you're going to be expected to to and going to want to um, take advantage yeah. of the opportunity to write books after books and you'll be in that isolation that we were talking about. Over the course of the decades, you'll find that you're dealing with the same kind of material. And I think it's no coincidence that, number one, um, in 
literature, contemporary literature, a lot of it can feel a little bit claustrophobic, that it's the same sorts of experiences, the same sorts of people, not always that engaged with the world that we're in, um, but engaged in small experiences. And those can be superb books. I'm not trying to slag them off, but I, I would say that that I think it's, uh, it's, it's a limit that you see in some places. And the other danger is that the author ends up writing the same book over and over after a certain point. You do see that even in great writers that after, let's say, 50, 60, then yeah. you start to think, wait a minute, isn't that the same book we've seen three times? But you see it in filmmakers too. That's why Tarantino says he's only going to make whatever it is, nine or ten films, and that will be it. Right. No more yeah. after that because he doesn't want – and you could argue that he kind of repeats himself a little bit, but he doesn't want to fall into that slump that happens in, you know – artists that are 50, 60 years old, which will be in and around that time, uh, and they start uh, repeating themselves. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly where um, the a, a journalistic um, avenue for your writing is great because it offers me an opportunity now and then to escape my my claustrophobic study and to go to Rwanda or to Italy or to um, to, to France or or who knows where yeah. and come up with some interesting idea and be able to explore it and meet different people and have other experiences so that, that I still gain some freshness and an idea of, of where the world is going, where different areas are going. And, and I hope to be able to do that as long as I have working legs. <laughs> I'm speaking with Tom Rockman. His book is called The Italian Teacher in Stores Right Now. Do you think that interviewing people, speaking with uh, a, a wide swath of, of, of people over the course of your journalism career gave you an ear for dialogue or is that just something that a novelist has innately? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think a novelist necessarily has it innately because some novelists aren't very good at dialogue. <laughs> but I think that um, that's probably having, you know, transcribed an awful lot of interviews, I think that that can help. And also, I think it goes back to just being interested in other people. I think mm -hmm. that this is an invaluable um, invaluable trait in, in a writer. If you, I mean, that for me, the sorts of books that I like to read are ones that really, that really flesh out people you don't know and give you an insight into what it's like to be somebody and have an experience you could never yourself have. Right. And that sort of access uh, unless you're writing endless autobiographical stuff, which I'm never doing, if you, unless you're you're doing that, then you do have to try, be engaged and trying to understand other people. And um, part of that is listening to how they speak, because there's so much in that. There's so much in in the evasions as well. We were talking mm -hmm. before about about asking the right questions. That sometimes when you're listening back to to a tape from an interview, then you, I mean, I'm invariably discovering all sorts of things and kicking myself that I didn't ask this or that because there's so much revealed if you listen closely. If you listen closely and also I have done a million interviews where I thought, oh, that went really, really well. And then you listen to the tape back and it's because in person someone may be charming and funny mm -hmm. and then you listen to the tape and when it's you're transcribing and it's in black and white on the page, you realize there's no there there. Huh, there's nothing there. So that's yeah, happened yeah. to me uh, often. Yeah. I've yeah. allowed myself to get too engaged with the, hmm. with the subject. Hmm. Uh, Pinch. You live in London. Pinch is the main character of your book. He's someone who is uh, struggling to find what his place in the world will be, having a famous father and a mother who's also an artist. 
Tell me, is he based on someone? Uh, you live in London. I just have this idea that there are, you know, there's, you know, faded royalty. There are members of the royal family <laughs> 20 times removed that you might have a drink with at the local pub who still call themselves the Earl of something, even though they have, you know, <laughs> no real legacy left uh, or whatever, or the sons and daughters of, of very famous people. Is he based on anyone or is this... Just a, a, a sheer flight of fancy for you. No, he's a, he's a, a an invention, a complete mm-hmm. invention. But at the same time, I think that every single character includes little bits of people you've known and yourself. You know, that there's that famous line from Flaubert that he said, "Madame Bovary, c'est moi," or something like that. Yeah. That that really in every single character, there's a, there's a speck of, of you and your perceptions, and there's specks of other people too, which can be dangerous because mm-hmm. if people identify that, you know, with the, let's say the cravat that so-and-so yeah, yeah, wears, yeah. and they think, oh, it was supposed to be that person, which right. it might not. It might be that the only thing you took from them was their cravat. Yeah. But um, but with the, the character of Pinch, I think it was... It was um, it was the the idea of this this kind of person, and he took life on the page and in the creation and in all of the situations that he's in. The idea of somebody who lives in the long, long shadow of somebody deemed a great man by the art world and by society. And, um, and, and I, you know, I think he's also that character was affected by my research into the lives of the children of artists, which is something that I read up about a lot. And I did speak to some as mm-hmm. well. For example, the son of Norman Rockwell I talked to and others like that. So, Is he an artist? He is an artist, actually. Yeah, he yeah, is. But that's he was a long shadow to live under. Yeah. Well, this, you'd be surprised how many great artists' children entered the arts. Mm. And um, I mean, for example, uh, one of Gauguin's sons became a sculptor and was an appallingly bad sculptor. <laughs> poor guy. Although I must say that he did win a bronze medal at the Olympics in sculpture. In sculpture, which really? I know. Yeah, I know. You think I'm joking, but in 1924 they had. Uh, they had you could meddle in sculpture. It's like, it's the fastest time to exactly. Carve, uh, I don't know how they judged it, but <laughs> they they even had medals in urban planning. So it's not really an Olympics you'd want to watch on television. No, I've I've never heard of such a thing. When we come back, we'll pick up uh, the story of the Italian teacher, its writing, uh, and learn more about Tom Rockman. Stay with us. Uh, it's going to be interesting stuff, and you can find the book in any bookstore right now. Probably there's a Kindle version. Will there be an audio book? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, look for all those things. When we come back, I want to talk about 10 things I'd like my readers to know about me. That's wow. an article that you wrote a few years oh, ago. Oh, okay, good. And, and not about me, about you. <laughs> I'm just reading the, the title. Uh, stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. The Italian teacher is sitting on a shelf in a bookstore near you, waiting to be picked up and taken home and read. Uh, It is written by Tom Rockman. We've been discussing uh, the themes in the book, why you write, and and how you got to the point in your life after a long journalism career about writing novels. Um, I want to talk about an article that you wrote, and there's 10 things I'd like my readers to know about me. And I'm not sure where this came from. I found it online somewhere, and I just thought I'd throw a few things out there that you could expand on. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because it's one of those things I must have done a long time ago. I don't remember what the 10 things are. I'd like. I think there are 10,000 things I'd like readers not to know about me. <laughs> well, those things, we, if we had another hour, we could talk exactly. about those. But um, uh, a couple of things here. 
you talk about uh, 23, you got your first job in news, editing international stories uh, at the Associated Press in New York, and you say, I was terrifyingly unqualified. Yes. Tell me about that, about because oh. that's a heavyweight thing. Did you wake up with a, just a knot in the pit of your stomach? It was, you had yeah, it was, it was, I, I went into work every day thinking I was going to be fired. It was mm-hmm. really tough. And, you know, the journalism, especially at a fast-paced news agency like that in New York, is very... It's it's not necessarily a polite kind genial <laughs> atmosphere. So people there's a lot of shouting and a lot of a lot of uh, public humiliation because right. when you got something wrong they would scream across the newsroom, "Who did this?" and you'd like you'd be thinking, "Oh, I did that one." Well, um yeah, so it was it was really incredibly stressful and I to this day I don't understand two things, which one is why they hired me for this right. position, and number two, why they didn't fire me. But um, it was it was it was a kind of a trial by fire. But you know, when you speak to people who worked in tr- traditional journalism, of which it's not quite the same anymore, yeah. but many of them talk about having having had experiences like that. That that you get dropped into the deep end because. One thing about the business is that there's almost no training. There's nobody sits around and says, this is how you do it. They just say, here's a story, do it. And you try and you get it completely wrong. And it's not an altogether easy way to learn, but it's it's how many people have learned. It, it is. And and I think the, the thing about news that people don't understand enough is that when you go in at 9 a.m., for you, know, you punch the clock and go in, you don't know what's ahead of you for that day. Yeah. There could be some giant thing yeah. happening at that moment while you're on the subway heading into work, and all of a sudden you're going to be blindsided by something that is going to eat up the rest of your life for the next, you know, day, 10 days or whatever. Absolutely. And another thing that, that, I, that I learned that's really interesting is that when you start out, you have no idea. Let's say a huge event mm-hmm. happens, as you're saying. Um, you have no idea how to put that into news. Right how to transform that. Now, once you've done it for a number of years, then they can throw anything at you and you know how to fit it into the into the right boxes and how to tell that story properly. But at the start, you, it's just this overwhelming terror. You think, I don't know how to do, how do I say this? Who do I talk to? I need to confirm this? Or is it, can I just say this thing happened? And where do I put the bits of Who do I call? And what do I say to them? And and so it's a it's a complete overwhelming mystery at the start, and um, and that is really intimidating. Um, and then later on, you you know they could send you to a road conference, and you can figure out what the story is. Satisfying to get it right, though. Oh yeah. When it happens and you you hit the nail on the head, that's pretty satisfying. It is. It is. Although you don't entirely know that you have hit the nail on the head. I mean, how do you judge that? Is it because everybody else did the same thing? You could think that's confirmation, but maybe you should be trying to do something different. It's right. it's a it's a constant um, challenge, and that for the people who who love it, it's it's fun for that reason. You write here. I had the best week of my life, as some had one of their worst. So in twenty oh eight, the financial crash hit. And New York publishers were looking at your debut novel, and everybody wanted it. And then there was a crash. Yeah, it was really strange because I was I was working at that point in in Paris and uh, at the International Herald Tribune, and now defunct great newspaper that was there. And I would walk into the office every day, and you know, past the the banks of desks working on the, the business news, and 
Uh, and there was this kind of panic among those people, not just covering the story, but also because their own savings in some yeah. cases were going up in smoke. So it was a very tense time. But at the same time, I was sneaking away to little um, closed door offices where I could have these conversations with publishers in New York who were who were some who were amazingly to me trying to convince me to be published with them. I was thinking, you know, yeah. Five days ago, I would have been desperately trying to get a you on the phone, and you wouldn't have cared. And now you want me to be published by you. So it was, it was a, it was a really one of the greatest weeks of my life. But it, I had to enjoy that week in secrecy. Right. Yeah, you can't skip through the the newsroom on a week like exactly. that. Exactly. And Brad Pitt was interested in in the first book. He yeah his his production company bought the or they optioned the the rights to make it into a into a movie um, and. They started to develop it. They hired a, a screenwriter, the guy who wrote the movie The, the Fighter, and mm-hmm. he worked away on it. And ultimately, they were just not happy with it. And, you know, with the, the I suppose, I don't really know why the script or whatever it was, they decided not to keep going with it. And then the rights were bought by BBC. And it's kind of been an ongoing saga. And, uh, a, a, but you keep making money off it every time someone buys the rights. Right? Well, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a really interesting... Um, an interesting saga because it's offered me an insight and a glimpse into the film and TV world, which, of course, I a long time ago wanted to enter uh, myself. And um, I think in some ways it's confirmed that I made the right choice. I was speaking with Tom Rockman. The book is called The Italian Teacher. It's in stores right now. Uh, you say you're a little regretful about <clears throat> your second novel, The Rise and Fall of Great Powers. You're probably proudest of this book you say in this article, but um, uh, it didn't catch on like the first one did, you write here in this article. Um, How does that make you feel like in that moment, because you're coming off a giant hit, Brad Pitt's calling you, the whole thing, and then the second novel doesn't doesn't take off in the same way that the first one did? Yeah, well, I think that that's, you know, that's a, you have to try to have the perspective of the whole career, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the works together. And when you're in the the midst of the career, you can't really see that because you're focused on that particular book. And I, I think I probably said that at the time around that that book had come out or after some period afterwards and um, I think that you have to look at it overall as you're expressing different things at different points in your life and different bits of them for various reasons will connect with people or not another key part of it is that uh, if you have a, a great good fortune that I had with the first book or with any book that that takes off like that, you also see that there are factors you can't control, such as luck. Um, I mean, I had amazing little bits of luck that, that determined everything with that book. And there are all sorts of in really, really deserving writers and books that don't get the attention, don't get the... Just because they lack a bit of fortune along the way. And so I think that um, if one could have the the... Uh, zoom out perspective on your own life, then you could see that you're, it's important for you to express what you feel is is appropriate at that time, the, the thing that impassions you. And, and you hope that people over time will engage with bits of it and maybe engage with it later as well. Um, but in the moment, you're, you're, you, you desperately want them to feel as you do. And there's no reason why the world should share your feelings. Funny though, with a book or a film now, uh, they don't go anywhere. Ten years from now, that's still going to be sitting on someone's shelf and someone can pick it up and find enjoyment. I, I have people that come and approach me and talk about sections of books that I've written that might be 10 or more years old. 
that I kind of don't even remember. I haven't hmm. looked at these things for a long time. But it's someone's found it in a secondhand bookstore or they've pulled it off, you know, a shelf at uh, over visiting at a friend's house or something. And it is, it, it is interesting that this thing that you invest yourself in so much and then kind of, for me anyway, push out of your mind a little bit, does have a life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the 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 great things about it. And you know, as a as a, a reader myself, how many times I've walked into a used bookshop in some far flung, flung place and just been scanning the shelves and thought, oh yeah, I remember that. I never got around to that book, or I heard something about it. And you pull it out, and and this this story and the imagination of the author and the characters within all animate and come to life as if they were created that instant that yeah. you're encountering them. And so this completely inert object on the shelves in all around, all around the world or, or um, in, in places you don't even know about mm. is just waiting to, to come back to life. And that's a, a, a wonderful, uh, exciting part of, of writing. My books have mostly been available just in North America, but I was in London a while ago and I found my, I just, I found, I went looking and found <laughs> a copy of one of my books uh, in a bookstore in London and that was thrilling. Yeah. Absolutely thrilling. Well, one always has the, 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 you know, that kind of conflict. You think, I found it on the shelf of this bookshop. That's exciting, but then again... Nobody's bought it yet. Is it good or is well, it bad? If you I like it? to think that there were 25 other copies sitting <laughs> exactly, next to yeah, it yeah. Like earlier. That's the dream, right. Uh, what is more important? <clears throat> you just got a bit of time left. What's more important when you're starting a, a big project like this? Is it the beginning of the book or the end of the book? Hmm, interesting question. I think that you know the, the beginning you work over so much because you know that that's going to be the, the part that might draw people in. Uh, and so you want that to to have particular qualities. That sounds to me like leftover from journalism days too, where you have to Probably, grab people yeah. in that first I paragraph so. where they're lost, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I I recognize that there's a slower pace, and and I, I try to take advantage of that in storytelling and not feel like I have to get them quite as quickly as yeah, you do yeah. with a news story. But certainly the principle is 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 there and is in my mind that I want people to be to be drawn into a story um, and not uh, allow them to be to drift away. Mm -hmm. But I think that probably, to answer your question, I think maybe the ending is more important at the start in that um, you don't need to have it exactly, exactly clear. But I think that it is useful to know where the story is going. And then you you can't over plan it because if you I think if you detail it too much, then the the writing is dead as you're going through. You're just you're connecting dots from from uh, X to Y, and that's no good. You really need to, I think, have a, a little frisson of of uncertainty, and then uh, suddenly the characters are doing things that that are consistent with them, but not exactly as you planned. And that's thrilling as a writer, and and it it can even move you as you're writing. And I think that that really comes across. That if you if you are feeling uh, the emotions that the characters are feeling, uh, then it somehow infuses the text itself. And that only happens if there's some uncertainty, if you're a bit unclear about how it's all going to work out. But I think, at least for me, the way I write, it's important for me to know more or less where it's all going to end up. And then the beginning will will come at the end. That is to say, the I'll go back to the beginning so many times that, that it'll be smoothed out finally. And I like to just get started. And I the, the way that I start a book is never how it's going to be published, because by the time it comes out, I will have redone that 400 times. I've been speaking with Tom Rockman. The book is called The Italian Teacher. It's in bookstores right now. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. Great pleasure talking. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Andre and the board. We'll see you next week.